Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you and welcome. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. It is Wednesday, it is 10 past 2 and that means it's time for Judaism 101.9. Coming to you here live from Joburg and great to be in your company. And today we're going to be exploring, as we always do, some of the upcoming events, some of the things that you need to know about and perhaps to put it all against the background of what is going on in the world. In other words, uh, yes, of course, Omicron and uh, the difficulties that it has created for all of us, the fact that we feel that we're in a kind of a lockdown siege um, at the moment, and you'll see the relevance of that in a moment as well. And um, then once again, against the background of the parashiot that we're reading, the parashas that we read at the moment, and of course recounting the famous, famous story of Joseph and his brothers and um, how that as a kind of a theme and a background to all of this has relevance as well. And so in living our lives as a Jew or as Jews, Jews and Jewesses, we need to think about what there is in store for us, but at the same time, what we can do about it, what we can do to make a difference, living with the portion, the parsha of the week, as well as living with the events that are happening and to see the kind of synchronicity and the kind of lineup that they all have and the interrelation that they have one with the other. And, of course, then to uh, realize that that actually is what it means to live as a Jew and to make sure that we are doing something about world events, that we're doing something about the state of mind that we're in, that we're doing something about the uh, things that are recounted to us not just in order to tell us a nice little piece of history and a nice story, but rather to have a relevance in our lives um, and something that we need to fix and something that we need to do and something that we need to take with us in order to move forward and uh, to really do the ultimate in helping to bring about a complete and fundamental change in this world, um, which we're promised will happen when Mashiach will come, please God, speedily in our time. So let's perhaps begin by looking at a little bit of the background. And of course, this is not a Parsha Shir. This is not a Shir on the center of the week. But I think that it has some relevance at the moment because if for nothing else we talk about in this week's Parsha and in the Haftorah, two um, um Events, two things perhaps that need to be thought about in terms of the theme of this week ahead. Because if we take a look at the Parsha, we're looking at Vayigash, we're looking at the fact that Yehuda steps forward to come to the defense of his younger brother, Binyamin, who's been accused by Joseph, and they don't yet know. Uh, really, that it is Joseph, that it is Joseph, the viceroy of Egypt. And um, in that accusation, he steps forward, Yehuda, in a, a defense mode. And he kind of says, I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to uh, make heads roll in order to show the protection that I'm going to have for my brother. And it is soon thereafter that Yosef, Joseph, reveals himself to his brothers and says, I need Yosef. And of course, that 
beautiful, beautiful scene of the brother standing before him in disbelief. And he says, I am Joseph. Here I am, the one that you sold into slavery. And we see how everything that God has done, he has done for the best. How the fact that you sold me into slavery, the fact that you wanted to kill me, the fact that you did what you did, it was all part of God's plan. And he is the one who not only forgives his brothers, but um, um, enables their um, uh, tshuva, their repentance, their return as well. And it is kind of a theme that is developed throughout, if we think about the book of Breshit, the book of Genesis, in that we have this um, schism, this chasm that has formed or that is formed between the uh, two sisters, Rachel and Leah, who were, of course, the wives of Yaakov Avinu, of Jacob, to the two fundamental mothers of the Jewish people, and the ones who primarily gave birth to the uh, 12 sons, the 12, the forerunners of the forebearers of the 12 tribes, the whole of the Jewish people. And we see that Yehuda came from Leah, and uh, Yosef and Benjamin come from Rachel. And there is this um, divide that runs actually now as a theme from here on in and actually throughout all of uh, the remaining Jewish history that will come afterwards. The, uh, it is the stepping stones, it's the foundations of everything that will run through as a theme thereafter. This divide between Rachel and Leah, which leads to the divide between represented by Yehuda and Yosef, Joseph and Judah, Joseph and Yehuda. And um, in fact, they are the ones who are the main players um, throughout the next part or the running through of the book of Breshit, the whole book of Genesis. If we think about it, it is Yehuda who sells Yosef, who sells Joseph into slavery. He's the one who devises that plan. It is he who features um, then as the dominant brother, so to speak. He's the one who'll take responsibility for Binyamin. And in fact, he's the one now in this week's Parsha who steps forward. He stands up bold and ready to go to battle to do whatever it takes in order to protect his brother. Now, wasn't this all part of the test that Yosef HaTzadik, that Joseph actually laid out for his brothers? He wanted to see, had they done tshuva? Had they repented? Had they returned? Had they done anything about the fact that they had sold their brother into slavery? Had they actually regretted it? And were they able to, were they going to stand up for their brother Binyamin? He sets up this whole um, charade and this whole story of how Binyamin is made to come with the brothers down to stand before him in Egypt, and then Binyamin, Binyamin gets the cup planted in his sack, and he is the one who's then accused of having stolen it and having repaid, repaid the kindness of the great viceroy of Egypt, um, repaid it with stealing his cup, so to speak, and he's brought before uh, Yosef, and he is about to, they think, be taken as a slave, or even worse than that, at their suggestion, they even said that the one in whose uh, uh, sack it's found, let him be killed. And so, once again, you have this idea of the conflict here that Yosef has engineered. He wants to see how are they going to behave towards Binyamin, towards Benjamin. And they pass the test. And the one who stands up and passes the test, of course, is Yehuda. Yehuda says, listen, we're not going to let this happen again. And I'm going to stand up for this youngster. I'm not going to go back to my father with another bit of bad news that he's lost his second son from his favorite wife, from Rochel. He stands up. 
tall, proud, and strong and says, I'm ready to defend. But in fact, this then becomes the forerunner of a schism that develops between the tribes later on. Because if we think about the whole um, unwinding of the events of uh, history that uh, go after this whole story, we see that eventually the kingdoms of Israel were divided into two parts, primarily once again, the children of Leah versus the children of Rachel. It is Binyamin who has Jerusalem, his tribe, um, and there is then the kingdoms to the north, and you have the representation of Yehuda. And then, of course, it's carried all the way through to the concepts that are brought and taught to us about Mashiach ben Yosef or Mashiach ben David, the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Yosef, so to speak, or the children of Leah and the children of Rochel. It comes all the way through history. It goes and it carries on um, right through and right up to um, the idea of when Mashiach will come, that there'll be that Mashiach ben Yosef or the Mashiach ben David, which is uh, quite fascinating in and of itself. And so we have this as the background, the trying to fix of this, uh, this uh, schism, the trying to fix this uh, difficulty, this uh, getting these polar opposites aligned to bring them all together. And as the Haftorah this week tells us of the prophecy of the sticks, the two sticks that need to be forged into one. And in fact, it is against that backdrop that we have some interesting upcoming events, particularly during this coming week. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We've been talking about the background to some of the things that we need to bear in mind that are going to be happening, the stuff we've got to do this week. And uh, speaking about the story of Joseph and Yehuda, Yosef and Yehuda, and the strife that existed between them from historical uh, from a historical point of view, and that, it, that in fact was thrown forward and advanced into the future with the uh, disagreements between the north and the south, the kingdoms of Israel, and in fact right up until Biat Mashiach, to the coming of Mashiach, with Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, as it is termed, we have this difficulty. And a part of what we as Jews need to do is to try and bring about, emerge, try and bring about a... Uh, a unity of purpose and a unity of everything that we can come together as one. This, in fact, is something that we need to strive for, not only within ourselves to merge the different attributes and the different aspects of our lives and the things that actually govern us. You know, if we think about the uh, dimension of Yosef, of Joseph, there is actually the dimension within each and every one of us. It is the dimension of no matter how much we're, trodden down, no matter how much we're thrown into the pits and into uh, the jails of Egypt and so on, yet we can rise to become the viceroy. There is that ambition and that ability to rise to the top, a power of um, success that is from within, that is perhaps the attribute of Yosef. If we think about the attribute of Yehuda, Yehuda is this person who takes absolute responsibility for everything. He's responsible. He's responsible for his brothers. He's responsible for himself. He takes responsibility when he's found out in all sorts of awkward situations. And he 
does his beckoning. He does what he's called upon to do. He has the idea that I mention of being a servant, of being a, 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 a fulfiller of whatever it is that he's called upon to do. And we have to try and merge those things together. We've got those dimensions within ourselves and we have those dimensions within our people. And we need this kind of coming together, this unity that needs to take place. But it wasn't always like that. And there was very often times of strife and there were very often times of difficulty. And as you and I well know, there are very often um, uh, disagreements between uh, people from different walks of life. And we have this disunity that often uh, pervades if we think about uh, politics in Israel, if we think about uh, things within our own uh, communities, there is not that often or not often enough a meeting of minds and a seeing of eye to eye and a coming together of different ideas that can all be melded into one. There is a lot of fault finding and there is a lot of um, um, disparaging remarks and there is a lot of difficulties that crop up not only within ourselves but within the families and within communities and then in a broader sense within the whole Jewish people and in fact this very often led to all sorts of other difficulties so come this week we have a fast day that is going to occur next week Tuesday so before we meet again on Judaism 101.9 there is a fast day and the fast day is often forgotten about it is so often forgotten about because it occurs during the holiday period it's a time when people are relaxing when uh, we're looking forward to uh, bright place and sunny skies and we're thinking about beaches and uh, paddle skis and so on. And we don't always think about the fact that there is a very, very important fast day. So important is this fast day that, in fact, our sages tell us that were it to fall out, make sure they make sure that it doesn't fall out on a Shabbat. But were it to fall out on a Shabbat, it would, in fact, uh, be a fast that they say that we should keep just like Yom Kippur. And, in fact, it is the only fast that can occur on a Friday. Doesn't this year? It occurs on a Tuesday, and it's on Tuesday of the coming week that we have this fast, Asorah B'Tavis, the 10th of Tevet. And it is of such power and such importance that we need to remember that this is not something that we can just willy-nilly wash away and say, ah, meaningless, doesn't mean that much to me, I'm not really going to do it, or it doesn't apply. It's people I want to do that, you know, it doesn't apply to women, and it doesn't apply to this one, doesn't apply to the next one. No, the only time that a person um, can safely not fast on any of these fasts, and particularly on a Sarabatavis, is if you have spoken to a rabbi, you've spoken to a doctor, you have a medical reason, and so on, uh, that uh, would preclude you from fasting. But otherwise, we are not at liberty just to make up our own minds and say, well, this is one that I won't do because perhaps it's too hot or perhaps I'm uh, too relaxed or perhaps I need to spend more time at the pool or whatever it is during this holiday period, we need to make sure that we actually keep to this fast. And the fast is all day on Tuesday. It will start before dawn and it will go right up until um, the time of nightfall. Um, so it is quite a long fast. And, of course, as it does occur in the summer here, a little bit hot and a little bit more difficult perhaps for us, but very, very important, this fast of Asara B'Tavis. What is the fast of Asara B'Tavis? The 10th of Tavis marks the day in the year 3336 um, of our uh, calendar, which was 425 before the Common Era, that the forces of the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar 
laid siege to Jerusalem. This began, the siege of Jerusalem began on the 10th of Tammuz before the destruction of the first temple. Now, it then took approximately 30 months. It was a lengthy period of this siege, of this um, lockdown that happened to our uh, forefathers and uh, their uh, families and so on in Jerusalem in that year, 425 before the Common Era. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, laid siege to Jerusalem. They controlled, therefore, the outer perimeter of Yerushalayim. They only allowed in what they wanted to allow in. They only allowed out what they wanted to allow out. It was under complete domination and control. There were travel bans. There were uh, all sorts of restrictions um, that were placed upon the people, and the people suffered under this for 13 months. But the... Um, prophets of the time and the people uh, living in Yerushalayim realized that this was, or many of them realized, that this was a uh, pressure that God had allowed to happen, and in fact that it happened before and had been thwarted, but that they didn't really take heed of the fact that God was trying to send them a message, that in fact there was a message that they should have heeded, that they should have come to terms with, and that was that they needed to fix a whole lot of stuff in order to ensure that Jerusalem does not get destroyed, that the temple is not destroyed. Unfortunately, they didn't. And then, all those months later, in fact, 30 months later, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, was destroyed. Jerusalem was raised to the ground. And we went into the first exile um, after the temple, and that was the Babylonian exile, which uh, was the forerunner of the latter exiles and the forerunner of the next destruction, in fact, of the temple which was built um, and commenced about 70 years later. But by that time, so many people had assimilated. There had been great numbers of intermarriages. There were all sorts of difficulties. And what was actually the purpose, therefore, of the siege? The siege that happened starting on the 10th of Tavis, which really kick-started all of the difficulties and problems and issues that we know of today and that have been uh, the very, very thread of Golis of exile from then until today has been or were and was this idea of uh, the fact that we were not really doing the right thing. We weren't as uh, melded together as we should have been as a people. We weren't showing enough Ahavat Israel, we weren't showing enough love for each other. We were getting involved in replacements, in all sorts of replacements that we were finding for our religious life. And those replacements led to Avodah Zarah. They led to idol worship. And it led to all sorts of strange and un unwarranted and unwanted behaviors that eventually allowed, enabled, brought about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Yerushalayim. It lasted for a long time. There was this long period of siege, which was a long period of warning, a period of time during which we were being warned. We were being told, listen, you, this can go either way. This can end with the, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, being chased away, uh, just like happened in the time of the Maccabees, which we just came through and celebrated the festival, the Chag of Hanukkah, or similar events that happened when we 
literally in inverted commas, got out of jail free when we were able to thwart these onslaughts. But this one, unfortunately, had a sad and tragic and bad ending. Why? Because there was no mass tshuva. There was no mass return, repentance. There was no mass love expended for each other. In fact, all that happened was things became worse and there was more of a blame game and there was more of laying uh, the fault on others and there was uh, more of a turning away from where we should have been headed and what we should have been doing. And so we look at the siege and this whole date of Asara Batavis or the 10th of Tavis as not only being a date on which we commemorate the very first time that we kind of got into this uh, harsh, dark difficulty of um, exile after uh, the destruction of the first temple, but in fact, a period of time during which we are being warned, we're being told that this can go either way. We can either use it as an opportunity to fix, to mend, to do the good and right and proper stuff, or we can allow it, God forbid, to bring us down. We can allow it to take us even further into the so-called abyss of difficulties and problems and darkness um, that could, God forbid, lie ahead. Now, there is so much good that um, has been done and that is being done and that continues to be done. And each and every one of us needs to understand and realize, I think, that every one of these difficulties, including our current pandemic and Omicron and whatever you want to call it that uh, keeps on rearing its ugly head, that this is nothing more than a message or messages from the Almighty that it is time for us to look inwardly and to look at what we can do to rectify, to fix, and to enable um, great and wondrous and beautiful things to, 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 to come out of it all. We need to make sure that the pandemic has a good, positive, and happy ending rather than, God forbid, the opposite. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we're talking about Asara Tavis, the 10th of Tavis, the fast that is coming up on Tuesday. We've got to remember that a fast day itself is designed for tshuva. A fast day itself is really designed for return, for repentance, for an opportunity to introspect, to look at ourselves, to look at our lives, to look at where we're coming from and where we're going to, and to think about ways to mend that all and fix the uh, black spots and uh, iron out the creases and make sure that we are back on track and doing the right and the correct and the and the, and, the, and the most appropriate stuff, if we think about all our fasts, they're all designed for tshuva. They're all designed for that return, for that repentance. Now, yes, it may be that in the past we haven't uh, fulfilled and we haven't done. It may be that um, the people living in the time of Nebuchadnezzar's siege didn't heed the calls of the prophets and they didn't heed the calls of all those who told them that, <coughs> excuse me, a siege is just a test and it's um, something that doesn't necessarily have to happen. But we need to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap. And yes, of course, as we've said, there has been so much good. There has been so much positive energy, and there's been such a strong and great outpouring. But we need to ensure that uh, come Asara Batavis on Tuesday, that we once again think about 
um, areas where possibly we're not 100% perfect, things that we still need to rectify and things that we still need to deal with and things that we still need to do, whether it's within our own lives, whether it's in the lives of our families, whether it's in the lives of our community, whether it's in the lives of our country or our world. There is so much more that we could actually do to step up to the plate and to make sure that we are doing the right thing and we're doing what's right and we are bringing about a love rather than a hatred that we're bringing about kindness rather than the opposite that we're being bringing about peace rather than uh, war and friction and so on all of these things need to be top of our agenda as we uh, think about Asorba Tevis, the 10th of Tevis it was the beginning of the siege but it was also the beginning of a period of Strong and stern and proper warnings. And we need to think about, I think, in uh, the siege that we find ourselves in at the moment and realize that all of this comes from God, that all of this is min everything that has happened along the way, whether it is COVID-19, whether it is um, Omicron, whether it is Delta, whatever it is, whether it is the fact that we seem to be in this lockdown and uh, an inability with travel bans to get to the places that perhaps we wanted to go to and we wanted to visit and so on. These are all min hashamayim. These are all from heaven and it's all from God. We've got to be able to read some of the messages uh, that God is sending us. If we don't get the full picture and we don't understand it all, perhaps one of the messages is, of course, that we're not in control, that we think we're in control. We think we run the world. We think we run the show. But that, in fact, it is the Ebesh, that it is Hashem, it is God Almighty himself who does that. And we are uh, just the small little players along the way. But God does empower us to make a huge difference. And the huge difference we can make, just like Yosef, just like Joseph, who was one man who was able to stand up and actually change the entire world, if you think about it. He was able to uh, really, really uh, empower Egypt and empower uh, Pharaoh uh, with his incredible, incredible um, economic and uh, uh, political plans that he made in order for Egypt to become this central place and the central provider of nourishment for the entire world. This was one man who was able to do all of that. We too can learn, not only from Yosef, we can learn from Yehuda about standing up for our brothers and we can learn from the siege of um, to realize that this is a time for us to think about our great power and what we actually can do about it all. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So as we go into this uh, Shabbat that is up ahead, the Shabbos of Parshas Vayigash, and of course then Asara B'Tavis, the 10th of Tavis, this um, powerful and important fast that occurs on Tuesday, we need to uh, perhaps adjust our sights a little bit and think about some serious introspective thoughts of how we can um, be a little bit closer to the things that God wants from us. We've got into a mindset, I think, over the last couple of years that um, the uh, perhaps uh, the godliness and the uh, closeness to shul and to community and so on that we've seen over uh, the last number of years and times in our lives 
um, has uh, waned a little bit and that we're a little bit further away from things. While everybody and anybody will tell you that it's well, so wonderful to be at home and to daven at home and so on, um, we lack the kedusha, we lack the holiness that a holy place brings to us. We don't even realize that. We don't even realize the power that it brings to us when we are in a holy environment, when there's a safer Torah in front of us, when there is a shul, when there is the davening. No matter how you think um, it is great to be at home and to daven at home and so on, our souls and our beings need that kind of an environment. And therefore, as we perhaps are not reading the signs and we're perhaps drifting a little bit further away from where we should be as Jews, not only in terms of shul, but in terms of family interaction, in terms of uh, communal interaction, in terms of Torah learning, in terms of all these things that we should be doing. But ultimately, in terms of Avas Yisrael, the love of our fellow men, um, we should be thinking about it long and hard during this period of time, and particularly on Asara B'Tavis, on the 10th of Tavis, which comes up, on this Tuesday. So let's make sure that we uh, not only enjoy the themes and the wondrous things and the beautiful things about the Shabbat up ahead, and I wish you a great one there. And please, God, you should uh, have a good and meaningful uh, fast in terms of what we have spoken about coming up on this Tuesday all day. I sort of a Tavis, the 10th of Tavis. We look forward to a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and I'll be back with you, please, God, same time, same place, next week once again on another exciting edition of Judaism 101.9.